I just want to speak this morning uh, um, about, um, I don't know if you've got the email, but it's uh, what's called the Gabion service. Who has been to a Gabion service before? Okay, some of you are thinking, what on earth is a Gabion? I don't even know. See that thing over there, that cage thing? A Gabion is a cage that they put stones in, and you quite often see they use, they're very popular for um, doing landscaping with. They make fences out of them and, uh, and build retaining walls. Sometimes you're driving down the highway, and it's a very cheap option. They, they get great big Gabions and fill them with stones, and they cre- create these great big retaining walls that can just hold tons of... Uh, soil and sand and whatnot, and so there is a long-standing tradition of people wanting to become members of uh, or call Lane Park Church their home, come and place a stone in the Gabion, and so I will be one of those people that will be able to do that today, uh, along with those of you that are new. So I just want to speak into this for a little bit, but uh, it's an exciting time, and. Uh, it's, you know, having a place to stay, a place to go, a place to be someone is fantastic. So I just want to speak uh, for a moment about the book of Ruth. And uh, I'm not going to read it because it's a long, long uh, series, uh, four chapters, but it'll take me quite a while to get through it. So I'm just going to talk through it. So it's the book of Ruth, chapters one, two, three, and four. And as homework or follow up from this, it would really help you to understand if you actually read through it and uh, just had to think about it. But, but basically, there's, it's, the story is about a girl called Ruth. And she is a daughter-in-law of a lady called Naomi, uh, who was married and had two sons. Now, it starts off and it says that uh, Naomi and her husband, whose name was... Um, I put my glasses up so I can actually read. Um, Elimelech. Elimelech. Which is an interesting sort of name, Elimelech, in in our culture. Uh, But probably not for theirs. It was probably John or Bob or Harry or, you know, to them. So here was Naomi. She uh, was married to Elimelech. in the land of um, Judah, and she lived in Bethlehem, and there was a famine in the land. So they picked up the two kids and Naomi, and they went to uh, across to, um, I'm having a mind blank because I'm tired, Moab. They went to Moab, which uh, from looking at the map looks like it's probably about six kilometers, uh, sort of could be 12 kilometers away um, from them. And they're there a long time, um, and then uh, Elimelech dies. Naomi manages to marry off her two sons, and they uh, have wives, and one of them is called Ruth. And uh, they die after 10 years. And so the rest of the story is actually about them moving back because suddenly the, the famine that was in uh, Jerusalem um, and Bethlehem that forced them to go to Moab suddenly comes to Moab and they end up going back to Bethlehem because she has relatives back there. And there's this beautiful verse that we all uh, or probably a portion of us have heard where Naomi is trying to send her daughters, uh, two daughter-in-laws because their husbands have died now and it's so it's just 
Naomi and Ruth and the um, other daughter, whose name was, I will give it to you. Someone call it out if they read it before. Opa, yeah, Opa. Uh, and so they decide they're going to go home. And, uh, but the problem is that for Ruth and Opa, it's not their home. And so Naomi says, go back to your own lands. You've been very, very good to me, but I'm releasing you. So go back. And they both cry wildly and say, we want to come with you. But Naomi says, I can't have any more sons. And uh, you don't have husbands. Now, today, that wouldn't be such a drama. But back then, it was a source of income. It was um, women. It was that the lot for a woman by herself was a very difficult lot. And so uh, Naomi didn't want that to be their lot. She wanted them to have an opportunity and have a husband and, and a future and kids and everything. And so she uh, insisted that they leave. But Ruth said this amazing thing. She says, uh, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my, uh, your people and your God will be my people and God. So she is basically saying that beautiful statement commitment that we sometimes make to another person that basically what what their vision is or where they're going or what they're doing we're locking into and we're gonna go along on the journey with them and the cool thing that I love about this and and these are just some thoughts I have that kind of uh, comes along on that and there's five of them and the first one is there is a place for you. Because the fact is that at that point in time, Ruth was with Naomi, and Naomi uh, had a place. She had relatives that she knew she could get support and love from back in Bethlehem, and there was a good-looking man called, jo um, uh, called Boaz. Sorry, I'm tired. I've had a long week, and my brain's just going... <coughs> and it's just holding me up in my thought process. So it's very nice that you guys are helping me out. So thank you for being kind. So, uh, so there's this good-looking hunk in, called Boaz back in, in Beth, uh, Bethlehem. And if you read the story, you'll find out that things turn out really well for uh, Naomi and Ruth in particular, who gets the good-looking hunk. Uh, and they get married, and she has uh, a child or children, and it's all good. But... I love about God. God has a place for us. And Ruth wouldn't have known it there, but God had a place for her in Bethlehem. She, he had a man called Boaz that Ruth would marry. And it's phenomenal because when you read the genealogy that comes up at the very end of the book, guess whose genealogy it becomes? The genealogy of Jesus. That's why the genealogy is so important. This story is so important because it, it joins the dots that we need to know that when you turn to the book of Matthew and it gives, these are the genealogies of Jesus and it says, you know, uh, talks about uh, Jesse and David and that Jesus was a son of David and, you know, and it runs through all that stuff. She fits into that. 
And Boaz fits into that. So it's amazing. So there is a place for you. Now, she, when she set out for Bethlehem, she wouldn't have known that, but there was still a place for her, whether she realized it or not. And one of the things I want to say to you today is at Lane Park Church, there is a place for you. You may have not made Lane Park Church your home yet. You may uh, feel like you're going to do it, or you may be new here and, and just new and never and not planning to even make it your home at the moment. But what I want to tell you is there is a place for you if you want it's, it's always up to us. We can go or we can stay, but there is a place for you. The second point is everyone is family. Everyone is family. In here, everyone is family. No one is more important than anyone else. I am not more important than you. I'm the lead pastor, but I'm just a servant in God just like you. I'm just a person that knows God and is trying to struggle through and gets up and looks in the mirror and, and looks back and goes, you know, just like the rest of us do. Hopefully you don't. Uh, I've been silly. Um, but, you know, everyone is family. I love Spy Kids. You know, there's this girl called Gertie Giggles. Does anyone remember Spy Kids? Am I that? Oh, cool. Gertie Giggles. She makes this line in Spy Kids too that I always remember. Everyone is family, Junie. Everyone is family, which is really important if you watch Spy Kids too, because at the end it comes to mean something very important. So watch Spy Kids too. There's my plug for Spy Kids too. But everyone is family. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to come from some special background. You don't have to have some kind of special job. You don't have to be a director or a, you know, anyone with any great intellect or anything like that to be a member here, to be a uh, member of our family. Everyone is welcome. And that's the thing I loved about Jesus was he went out through the streets and he gathered up the people, the, the fringes of society he didn't, he didn't go, I mean, he could have just hung out with rabbis and teachers and, and just hung out with the who's who, but he actually left them behind and he actually reached out to the, to the marginalized, to the fringes, to the people who society didn't look at favorably because they were considered to be, you know, like the, you know, the, low of the lo lowest of the low. But Jesus recognized them because they were family to him. He went on to tell parables about... Um, uh, about the Good Samaritan and that to highlight the idea that everyone is family. Ultimately, I mean, we're there to help everyone. And he, and he used it to try and wake the teachers and the, and the Pharisees up that, that uh, you know, they might be important in that. But in the parable about the Good Samaritan that he told, it wasn't them that came to the rescue. It was some uh, person that wasn't considered to have any status at all. And yet he was the hero of the story. See, Jesus doesn't care about how many zeros we've got behind our salary. He doesn't care what positions we hold, what roles, how clever we think we are, how clever we really are, how good we think we look, how well we dress. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He just cares about us. Third point, you feel part of family when you're connected and engaged. You feel part of family 
when you're connected and engaged. And this is really important because one of the things that I've realized in churches is we can go to church and we can go to church and we can go to church and we can go to church for weeks and months and years and still feel completely disconnected. You can come along and you can sneak into the services and then you can sneak out and not talk to anyone and do that for 20 years and still feel completely unconnected. And no one really know what's going on in your world and you not really know what's going on in anyone else's world. It's possible. I know people who do it. Not in this church, but other churches. They come in, they go out. The number of times I've been at, at my old church and seen someone come in and try and get to them before they get out, but they're just in and out. Don't talk to people. Gone. You know? Don't want to connect. I just, you know? That's what I call playing church. Playing church. But I'd rather play God. I'd rather, you know, have a relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Some years ago, my son Jordan, I'm, I was trying to remember this morning if I've told you the story or not before, but my son Jordy went to study in Auckland uh, and he was at Equippers Church, which is an absolutely fantastic church in Auckland. And they're very loving and they're just amazing, very much DNA like you guys and like Lee, uh, like Life Church. And that, I remember going there and I just, it was like, uh, like, this is called Welcome Home. Did I say that at the start? I didn't. Okay, well, to give you context, because this does my head and I've just done it myself, I am speaking about Welcome Home as my title, okay? So I walk into Equippers and instantly I feel like I'm welcome at home there. I feel like I've come home because they're the same kind of DNA. So Jordan's there and I'm very relieved because sending your very first child away to study in another city is actually quite scary when you love them dearly and you've invested a lot of money into them. Um, and, but you love them dearly is the most important thing, but you have invested a lot of money into them as well. Uh, and so Geordie goes off to Auckland and I think it was about six weeks or uh, eight months, eight, eight weeks or maybe 12 weeks and he rang up, I think it was a Sunday or something, and he said, I just, I just really don't feel connected there, and I feel lonely, and, uh, you know, I just don't feel like it's going well. And he was pretty bummed out. And I said, Jordan, are you serving? Are you doing anything? Are you connected there? Have you joined a serving team? And he said, no, I've been so busy, I haven't. And I said, Jordan... You need to get into a serving team. You need to start doing something at that church. And uh, so he listened to what I said, and he texted me the next day. And he said, after we talked, I contacted one of the pastors that was in charge of stuff, and I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just want to be in a team. The pastor got back straight away and said, yeah, cool. Well, we'll get together. We'll have a talk, and we'll, and we'll lock it in, and we'll, and we'll make something happen. And Jordan, when he texts the next day, said it already feels completely different. And that was the start of he was engaged in his church. And he, if you talk to Geordie about his times at Equippers, he lived for his times at Equippers. He, would, uh, he was one of the equipment guys that would load in, you know, this kind of gear. But they load, they do church at, this, at the Auckland Town Hall. They start packing, I think, at about 4.35 in the morning. 
and they finish and load their trucks up that take away all the equipment, I think uh, often they finish 9, 10 o'clock at night. So it's a long day uh, doing the pack and pack out. Quite often it's, just, it's a different crew, but sometimes it can be the same crew. But he lived for those moments, although they were tremendously tiring in that, because he was connected. He was connected. Join a life group is another great way to become connected. It helps you to connect at a lower level. We can come in and be very superficial on Sundays, but when you start actually spending time with people, they start asking questions about you. And it starts, we start getting into the nitty-gritty of what's going on in each other's worlds. And we can really start to find out, you know, some, some stuff that really needs encouragement and we can ask questions and talk and all that, but it all comes from connections, doesn't it? Fourth point, everyone needs to do something. This sounds like I'm telling you guys off, but, it, but I'm not. It's all about becoming part of a family. In a family, everyone needs to do something. In our family growing up, our kids had chores. They often didn't realise they had chores. In fact, they wanted to not realise that they had chores. They often wanted to ignore that they had chores. But, I mean, a family runs when we all do stuff. Someone has to do the dishes. Someone has to cook the meals. Someone has to vacuum. Someone has to feed the cat or the dog. Never me, because I make it real clear when we get pets, they're not my pets. You want to get them, you look after them, not my problem. So, um, but I still find myself looking after them. Actually, this morning about, you know, Place one, there's, there's a place for you. I got up uh, about two weeks ago. We bought, because uh, we've only moved here four months ago, uh, for those of you that aren't regulars. Uh, we only came to move here from Palmerston North four months ago. And so two weeks ago, we bought uh, one of our cats here and locked it inside. And, uh, you know, as you do, let them sort of get used to the surroundings and whatnot. And, and this Wednesday, Gina was out of town, but I was here and I was just leaving for work. And I thought, today is the day I'm going to let the cat out. And it just went whoosh, out and was zooming around. I'd been outside a few times, but, uh, but I thought, it's the first day I'm going to actually leave it outside while I'm at work. Well, I got home and Jasper's not anywhere. And so I'm out there all through the night till really late thinking I'm annoying the neighbours, calling out, Jasper, giddy, 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 you know, click, clicking my fingers. He knows it's attached to food, so he normally comes. Well, nothing Wednesday, nothing Thursday, nothing Friday, nothing yesterday, and I'm thinking, and then we, and I'd driven all around the neighbourhood looking for him, and I had rung the animal shelter, and this is the guy who, it's not my problem. Um, so Jean, um, I said to Gina, um, I hope he's okay, you know, and, and we said, because oh, we've got two roads sort of not too far away, and we said, hope he hasn't got bowled by a car or something. Well, I get up this morning, I'm in the bathroom, and I hear a meow outside, so I um, run, try and get the doors, uh, the keys to open the door, and in runs Jasper. And the thing that I realised straight away was there was a place for him. So he ran straight in the door, straight to his food bowl, looked like he hadn't eaten the whole time because he was really hungry. Um, and, but Jasper's back, and there was a place for him all along uh, for him to come and be part of. So that's, that's pretty cool, but not my problem, as I said. You know, I don't care, you know. 
fifth point, we're better in God when we're together. We're better in God when we're together. You know, how many, no, I'm not going to ask that question. I have found over the years that doing church sometimes can be challenging. And I have found, well, I'm going to tell you, that over the years, I have been probably a challenge for other people because they think, wow, that Dean, he is really annoying to be around, you know, really annoying. When I became a Christian, the girl who shared Christ with me, I was so grateful that someone had told me about Jesus and my life had changed so much that every time I saw her at, uh, it wasn't, we had done New Believer, oh no, it was still New Believers, New Believers course, I would say, Vivian, thank you for telling me about Jesus. And she'd say, don't thank me. It's not about me. She was doing the whole hyper, you know, super humble kind of thing. Um, and it used to make her uncomfortable. But I was probably really annoying to her because I was a lot younger than her and, and I was pesty and pesky and whatnot. But, you know, as you go on in church, we interact with a lot of people and we're all wired differently. And we all have different kind of temperaments and we all are emotionally different. And some of us are up one minute and we're down the next and other, sometimes we're up and others are down and they're down and we're up. And, and, and when you put a whole bunch of people together who are different and we have different ideas and we have sometimes different theologies and uh, different beliefs about God and all that kind of stuff, we can grind each other's gears, can't we? Has anyone ever found that someone's ground your gears? How many, how about some of you have found you've ground other people's gears? Yeah, I, as I said, don't answer that. It's all about, I'll take this one. Yeah. So, but I mean, doing church together, and the Bible talks about, you know, that we actually bring the best out in each other. That we actually, when, when there are things going on with one another, we're to work hard to put them right. As I said two weeks ago, when we're about to make an offering to God, if we remember at the altar that we have a, uh, someone has a problem with us or we have a problem with someone else or something like that, we're to go and put it right before we give the offering. That's how important it is. God says, I don't even want anything from you. Just keep your heart right with others. That's what he's saying. I don't care about your stuff. I don't care about your money. I don't care about any of that stuff. Just keep your heart right with others. It's more important than your money. Some people think churches are just about money. God's not about money. God doesn't give two hoots about money. But when we journey with others and we can journey in harmony and we can work out our problems and we can agree sometimes to disagree, that's a really big thing, isn't it? That we actually say, well, you believe this. You might believe, say, I don't know, that God, God will come at this time. And I believe that God will just show up and I don't, I'm not going to know exactly when. But I'm going to watch as Revelation says to watch. But I, you know, I'm going to keep an open mind. But, but we can still love each other. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong because it's not going to change the way it's going to happen. I mean, some people get into, you know, tribulation, post-trib and pre-trib and what do you believe? It's got to be pre-trib. He's got to come before, you know. It's, but who cares? It's not going to alter. What we believe is not going to alter the way God's going to do it. All that matters is that we get along through it all. There's a whole bunch of stuff that, that splits churches that really shouldn't split churches. There's a lot of things that, that cause people to have family issues and fights and that really aren't that important. All that matters 
is that we get along. We get along, we love each other, and we grow. And when we start realizing that that is actually what's important, we actually start becoming more mature, like the Bible. And the Bible says that when we can all love each other the way we're meant to and look after other people the way we're meant to, the world might actually stop and go, ooh, that could be the church. Do you get that? When we start loving each other the way we're meant to and caring for other people the way we're meant to, the world will actually realize we're the church. Because I don't know that the world's actually realizing at the moment that it's got the church in its presence. Because I think some are distracted with the wrong messages. Some are preaching hate messages and others are preaching all kinds of messages. But we just need to get back to the basics. Love God with everything we have and love others with everything we have. Love God and love others. That's really what it's all about when you boil everything down. That's why I love what Ron does with ABC and that. It's all about helping others. It's all about bringing others through to knowing God.